Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Serenity Caldwell. Hey. Hey. How's it going, Stephen? Uh, it's good. We're back. We got some topics, and we got some questions. It's uh, We got a, a whole a whole query on our hands here today. Let's, uh, let's do a show. All right. Uh, we're going to start with some follow-up, which you don't do much of on the show, but um, we spoke last time about how to track like home inventory. The question was in context of moving, but uh, David wrote in to mention a Mac and iOS app called TapForms that looks like it could do this. Um, I looked at their website and it looks bonkers, but if you're in the need for this, it may uh, it may suit you. So uh, we'll have a link in the show notes over to TapForms. Like I said, Mac, iOS, it all syncs together, which is pretty cool. Uh, and it may uh, may scratch your itch. And uh, now, now I'm bookmarking that in case I ever have to move again. There you go. God willing, I don't. <laughs> All right. So we're talking uh, just a little bit after Apple's education event, which they held in Chicago. You were there in person. I was. Uh, you were doing some uh, reporting on the scene because there was no live videos. It was like old school, right? Like I was reading, I was reading blogs and Twitter. I know. It was uh, a real... <laughs> A real blast from the past. <laughs> was it fun? Was it enjoyable to like not have a live stream? I don't know. I I I kind of like the myster like the mystique of only finding out about things from photos. But then again, I was on the ground. How did it feel for you, Stephen? It felt surprisingly, and it was sort of a lower key event, but it made it feel real low key. Like at one point, I just got up and like did something else in my office. <laughs> I was like, oh, I would never do that if there was a video, right? But. uh yeah, it was just, you know, I'm sure it had everything to do with this is a one-off location and <clears throat> that's a lot of stuff to do. And the, the video is already online. So it's, you know, there there is video to watch. It just wasn't live. So yeah. No and I, yeah, exactly. I, I feel like there are, there are some technical issues here. Uh, and uh, from a Wi-Fi perspective, it was really great not to have, uh, not to have video streaming because the Wi-Fi actually worked. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, so Apple did a bunch of stuff here. I think the... The core of it, though, is around this new $329 or $299 for your school uh, iPad. So it's the same price as the old fifth gen iPad. This is, uh, I guess, the sixth generation iPad yep. now. So quick blast of the specs. 9.7 inch screen that's non-laminated, correct? It's correct. Not, not laminated. Same thing as the um, iPad Air and the fifth generation iPad. Yep. Um, it has the A10 Fusion chip, so yeah. we're talking about you know a m much more modern internals than the previous uh, previous generation. And like, the most interesting change by far is that it now supports the Apple Pencil, which before today you had to have an iPad Pro to enjoy the Pencil. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the that is the news that I think pretty much all the text blogs led with, which is just like, hey, it's an iPad that uses the Pencil that's not. $599. Imagine that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big, uh, it's a big change in their strategy before the pro had the, uh, the Apple pencil and then the smart connector. This does not have the smart connector. Correct. So if you want an external keyboard, you're stuck in Bluetooth land, which is a, a little disappointing to me. I was kind of hoping they would bring that down. I think there's a, an argument to be made that uh, schools and consumers both would want uh, a keyboard that you don't have to fiddle with Bluetooth, but uh, but it's not there this this time around. Yeah, although it is interesting to note that the Logitech uh, rugged case that's being sold to education markets has a pseudo smart connector, where um, it 
plugs, like the top half plugs into your lightning port, um, and then it snaps onto the uh, snaps onto the case, the the keyboard aspect of it with a little smart connector style connection. Uh, mm. So the keyboard case, like the that section, is actually not. It doesn't need Bluetooth. It just connects via lightning, uh, which okay. is kind of like for schools that addresses that problem, right? Um, which I I thought was interesting. But for the average user, because, yeah, you can't buy the rugged case if you're just a regular old consumer. You have to be uh, not only an education customer, you know, have a be associated with the school, but but you have to be in Apple's education um, system, which means like setting right. up a managed ID. Yeah. All kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. You can't just walk in and buy one. No. <laughs> So, uh, so this iPad sort of straddles the line between consumer and in school. So it happened in the school as an education event, um, but you know, it's a. I think a lot of people are going to be excited about a three hundred twenty nine dollar iPad that you can use the pencil with, right? Like it seems like a great deal if you're in the market for an iPad. Really, the things that separate it in the Pro are that laminated display. The Pros, of course, are bigger and they have the fast refresh, mm-hmm. whose name Promotion. I can never remember. ProMotion. I turned that off, by the way. It makes my brain feel very funny. I don't, <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, and True Tone, of course, on the display as well. No, no True Tone, no, no true Smart tune. Connector. Um, probably I haven't been able to install Geekbench because there's been some iTunes difficulties today, but. Uh, Probably less RAM than the 10.5 inch iPad Pro. Uh, so you're talking about something that's you know a little bit you, you'll be able to use fewer apps in multitasking mode. One unique thing about this iPad is it has support for a new device called the Logitech Crayon, which is just a hysterical name to me. A pencil <sighs> and the crayon. What this seems super weird. What is this? Okay, so. This is basically an Apple Pencil Lite sequel in all but name and manufacturer. It is the Apple Pencil tech. So Apple either gave or co-worked. It's, they're being very, very hush-hush on how this all came together. But essentially, Apple and Logitech partnered to make an Apple Pencil that is identical in internals except for pressure. So it's an Apple Pencil that has the same low latency, the same tilts uh, and shading options, uh, but no pressure data. So it does not have the the multiple levels of pressure that you get when you draw with an Apple Pencil. Um, It's also designed a little bit differently, right? It's designed uh, to look more like 53's pencil, so it's flat, so it's not going to roll around. Um, It has a little bit less amount of battery. It's 8 hours to the pencil's 12 Um, And on that note, it charges via a female connector. So instead of having a completely removable cap, it's just kind of a pop-off. So no kids swallowing caps. That's always good. Uh, And uh, it just connects to a lightning cord, which, uh, like, I love the male lightning connector. I love being able to just stick uh, my pencil into my iPad and recharge it if I run out of battery because sometimes that happens. But in an education standpoint, you know, if they're going to have crayon, like a bunch of these crayons, they're probably going to have a a cart where they plug in a bunch of them at once. And in that case, it makes a lot of sense to have a female connector instead of a male connector. So there's that. Um, And the the two other like really big things about this this crayon is first, 
It's not Bluetooth and it's not a W1 chip. It actually connects to the iPad via um, the way that it was described to me was single frequency transmission. So I'm not sure if it's uh, radio waves or whatnot, uh, but essentially it connects via proximity to the device. Uh, so you don't need to pair it. You um, you turn it on the same way that you'd turn on most Bluetooth styluses, right? You have There's a little button on the side. Um, which basically like awakens it to the possibility of drawing on iPads. Uh, but there, from, from what I can tell, there is no pairing process whatsoever, uh, which as, uh, as our good friend Federico Vitici pointed out, is like, is it possible that you could use a crayon and a pencil at the same time? <laughs> um, it may well be. I don't know that answer yet, but maybe. Uh, so that's like, that's the the big, like big change for this in comparison to like a regular Apple Pencil. But the other one is that um, at least starting out in the summer, it's going to be sold the same way that the Rugged Case is, which is directly to educators via Apple's education channel. So your average consumer won't be able to walk up and buy this. Now, that said, I would not be surprised to see that change very rapidly, especially given the response I've seen to it on Twitter, where people are like, yeah, I'll pay half of the money for a pencil that doesn't have pressure. Sure. Exactly. A lot of people don't want to draw. They want to write. And you don't really need writing uh, pressure in writing unless you're doing calligraphy. So that's... But we should note it only works with this iPad, right? Yeah. It does not work with the iPad Pro? Not on the iPad Pro. Um, and my thought so is weird. kind of, well, no, it makes sense, though, uh, especially if there's some kind of internal frequency magic happening between yeah. this education-only iPad and the crayon. Um, the I'm guessing the only way that they can make that work and make this kind of miniature W, like not even a W1, right? Because it's not Bluetooth. The only way that they could come up with this was probably by engineering something in the iPad. What doesn't make sense mm -hmm. to me is why Logitech's doing it and not Apple. Like, Apple, what's wrong with just, I mean, maybe they just don't ever want to go down the, the rabbit hole of the eMac ever again. Like, maybe they're just like, no, we don't create education-only products anymore, and we're just going to siphon it off to third parties. But I'm like, what's wrong with just making a education pencil? Is it that Johnny Ive just didn't like the design of the crayon, that he thought it was too ugly? <laughs> He didn't want to create anything that wasn't a perfect cylinder. Like, <laughs> I... There's no telling. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's pretty cool. It is a pretty cool device. It really excites me that Apple has given their tech to someone who is not Apple um, to make a device that arguably is hopefully going to help a lot of people. Uh, and we'll, we'll see if it comes over to the regular consumer market. But in the meantime, I'm hoping it helps a lot of kids. So the, the iPad is the hardware story. On the software side, we have a new app called Schoolwork, which allows teachers to create share, create and share assignments, and then they can look at the progress of those assignments, see how, how far along students are, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, very similar if you're in a collegiate environment. It's, it looked, at least on stage, to be similar to things like Blackboard or Canvas. Um, oh, you know, that's... It's a high and low simultaneous bar to hit because, you know, for all of the managed learning uh, app processes that there are out there, they all have their ups and downs, just like CMSs do for writers. Uh, so I, I really think that's not going to be available until this summer. Well, we're going to have to kind of wade in a little bit more around dub dub time. But there is an interesting aspect of schoolwork that I think is really cool, Stephen, which is the integration of apps, which I think you were mentioning. 
Yeah, so this works via class kit, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm a teacher and I want to assign you, hey, check out um, you know this section of this other app that we use, I can use a deep link and like push a student directly to that part of the app's interface and content. So it it makes it simpler for students. They don't have to like hunt, hunt around or say they couldn't find it. And it makes it easier for teachers because they can pinpoint exactly what they want to share. And uh, this is coming in iOS 11.4. So like I said, this stuff's down the road a little bit, um, but it is um, something that developers can integrate into their apps if they want and teachers will be able to take advantage of it in some new ways. Yeah, I think this is in particular really cool uh, because it opens up the, it really opens the door to doing interactive assignments in a way that before, again, as you mentioned, it's like you have to rely on the kids being like, oh, I couldn't find the app or, oh, I didn't know which assignment to do or, oh, I did the wrong thing or what if you want to assign multiple apps and then it gets super complicated. With this, it's literally you give them direct links. And on top of that, once they're working in it, you can actually see their progress inside the app in terms of how much time they've spent in the app and whether or not they've been stuck on a particular screen and like how far into the progress have they gotten versus time. And just they're they're interesting metrics that, um, you know, Apple said on stage, well, we think this will help further tailor the student teacher experience. So you can really see how each of your students is grokking and understanding the material. Um, And I think there's a there's a real potential here. And there's also I mean, we should also mention the privacy angle, which Apple stressed a lot about on stage, which is that all of this stuff, you know, the teacher can see your progress, uh, but no one else can not even the school. Like the school cannot see your progress, just the teacher. And I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. They showed off Classroom, which is management of iPads like in the classroom level. Uh, that has been around. It's not new, but what is new is they're bringing it to the Mac. So if a teacher has an iMac you know, on their desk, then they can deal with the iPads from there instead of having to use an iPad itself. And they also mentioned Apple School Manager, which again isn't new, but it's where the school manages – Apple IDs for students and enrollment and that sort of thing. If a student has an Apple ID provided through that system by the school, they now have 200 gigabytes of iCloud storage space. Yeah. So all this stuff works on iCloud. So you can store, you know, homework and documents and shared stuff in iWork. All this stuff lives in iCloud and now it's 200 gigs uh, free. Not to everybody, not to every student, only for students enrolled in the system, which is a, a pretty good deal. You know, that's one place that Google has just been killing Apple on is, is the storage and the pricing. 100%. And so I'm glad that they have, have made, uh, made that change. Yeah. This, this really hurts me. Um, cause I look at this, I mean, granted previously it was five gigabytes of storage. So this is quite a, quite a dramatic increase, which I appreciate, but I'm still looking at this and being like, Apple, would it really hurt you to do with a terabyte of storage? Because, uh, I think the, the messaging, when we come back to talking about all of this and using iPad in the classroom and all of that is it really comes down to privilege and whether or not the school is affluent enough to be able to afford iPads and interactive learning challenges for their students. And there are many schools that do, and we saw some really fantastic examples during this keynote, but we also have to remember that not every school is like Lane Tech. <laughs> Not every school is going to have a, a budget that allows them to get even one iPad for their classroom, let alone one-to-one. And thankfully, some of the new classroom uh, options mean that you don't have to be one-to-one. They, a couple of students can use one iPad. Um, 
instead of like having one student had to own one iPad. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's still there's a there's a lot that can be improved in this arena, um, especially for you know as I said for like you still have a two ninety nine like base level entry and that's not costing an extra you know you add an extra hundred dollars on that for accessories. The whole package might be overall more appealing than a Chromebook uh, in certain circumstances, but you know Apple really has to think about like who is use- who are using these iPads. Um, if we want them in different areas, how can we work with school districts to do this? Um, but for the areas that already are like 200 gigabytes, if we really want you know our students to be at the intersection of technology and liberal arts. Um, maybe we give them a terabyte so they can make a lot of clips projects because, uh, yeah, HD footage fills up fast. At least it's not 4K. Thank God for that. <laughs> yeah. I think your comments on the schools that have access to this is an important thing to consider because it, it's not – I mean, some schools can't afford any of this. Yeah. And some schools may be able to afford Chromebooks and not this or just some iPads. Um this stuff is is expensive, and unfortunately, at least in the U.S., public schools have wildly different uh, <laughs> resources available to them. So that is something to consider. You know, when we think about this stuff, that th- there are a lot of students that can't have access to this, and um, and that's a bummer. It's a, t- a bigger topic than just this podcast, but it's it's something that I thought about a lot today, actually. Um, schools that, that don't have access to this sort of thing, but um, to round it out a little bit. Uh, iOS 11.3, uh, not released today. I, I assume it'll ship when these new iPads show up. Um, yeah, I mean... You know, sometime it, in the next week or so. Exactly. iPads are supposed to be in stores by the end of this week. So I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking that we see iOS 11.3 tomorrow at and at very latest, like next Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah. Because it's... I mean, it's almost there. It's it's pretty much always there. The beta, the, They've had like yeah. fif- fif- 15 betas something or something. Something like right? that. Like, <laughs> A million betas. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's that's happening. Um, do we want to talk about some of Apple's software initiatives in education? Because I found this really interesting, too. You like the curriculum stuff? Yeah. Well, specifically, so Apple's been doing Everyone Can Code for a while, um, which is just this curriculum that they've built for teachers. Um, it, it really is a basic level. It reminds me, you know, Stephen, you are, you're an ex-Apple retail person, too. You ever do the, like, the Apple retail me, like, the education uh, things where you'd get pins if you like did all of the modules correctly and they were like here learn about iWork learn about iMovie learn about Final Cut learn about Photoshop um, at- I'm, I'm too old for that cool stuff all the cool kids at Apple Retail got that after me but uh, uh, but yeah I mean I'm familiar with it right so the idea yeah. is that you there's incentive for those training it's like something you could, it's like it's like badges on your Apple Watch for you know, standing for 30 days in a row or something. Yeah. Well, it was, it was very cool training. Like as somebody who was training to be a creative, I thought it was very helpful because it gave you, you know, a lot of the stuff I knew about various programs, but it gave you tools and it gives you a way to look at the programs in different ways. And it gives you interesting like phrases and, and ways to approach the content um, when teaching it to specific people and like have finding out what their use cases were. And I really like based on the materials that Apple showed off for everyone over everyone can code. And of course, it's new initiative. Everyone can create, which I'll talk about in a second. Like it's it seems very much that they're taking what they started on the creative side in in Apple retail and really bringing it to the classroom and saying, hey, 
you know, we have distinguished educators and we have some really smart people who put together curriculum. Let's help teachers worldwide teach, you know, teach coding um, and integrate with our products if they want to in the classroom. And it's a free program, I believe, and has lesson plans and suggestions and apps and, you know, integrated with developers and things like Sphero is a partner for like playgrounds, among other things. Um, so like that stuff is really cool. But of course, um, the the big thing that they highlighted today was their new program everyone can create and this, like, as a as somebody who really believes in the actual the intersection of technology and liberal arts, but always got a little bit frustrated with Apple when they showed that slide. Like, I saw them; they're like technology and liberal arts. Um, but at the same time, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well, your liberal arts right now in 2010, when you first introduced the iPad, is is just books. Like, don't get me wrong; mm-hmm. I love books. I love the written word. Like, it is my job. Um, but when I thought about, you know, that intersection, I thought about what I used to do as a, as a teenager in high school and like making movies and, you know, drawing and really integrating, um, the things that were my passions into the things that were my schoolwork. Uh, and so to see this initiative, the everyone can create initiative, which is basically what I, like what I was describing, it's, it's what. Teenage Serenity would have would have loved to have actual curriculum for, which is oh, yeah. okay. You wanna you wanna study you know the Pythagorean theorem. Let's actually uh, use drawing and let's use video and make a skit about the Pythagorean theorem. Let's find out the origins of it and then write a play about like the the modules that they're suggesting and the the things uh, we went we actually got a, a demo of, okay, we want to teach about Fibonacci in math in math class, so we're actually going to write Fibonacci poems, uh, and we're going to use the Fibonacci sequence to, to write a poem, and then we're going to film it with clips, uh, and then, you know, uh, save our videos, and it'll be really cool. I'm like, I look at this, and I don't know, my my heart really does sing. Like, this is the, this is the kind of stuff that I loved doing as a kid. Um, and it, it just took me like 15 million times as long to do it. Uh, so to see all the tools that kids have, and granted, again, with the asterisk that this is for privileged folks, like, it's still, it is still such a cool initiative. It is something that I, I really don't think that the Googles and the Microsofts of the world are really thinking about. Like, even with the Surface, there's still not this this idea of let's, no, let's really, the, the, the that intersection, let's really tie them together. Let's really use the creative arts in a way that make people excited to create, even if they don't think that they have drawing talent or movie-making talent or anything like that. And vice versa, let's take the people who do have artistic talent and make them really excited about tech, even if they don't think that they have any interest in the STEM science. So I, I just love that. Yeah, no, it's, it's really exciting. I'm the same, same with you. Like I would have loved to have access to that. You know, I had access to Max in high school cause I was on the, the like the school newspaper staff <laughs> and that just changed so much for me. I can't imagine had I have access to something like an iPad back then. And uh, it plays, you know, to your point, it plays to the iPad strengths, right? That, Yes, it's more expensive than some other solutions, but it does give you a bunch of other stuff. And I think that curriculum like this leans into that and 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 gives students amazing tools to create with. I, I find it really exciting. I think out of all the stuff today, 
it's um it's potentially like the most impactful because students get to do new things. Yeah. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And the thing is, what I appreciate about it is even if your school or your classroom isn't completely on board with it, all of the integrations with the apps and the data and all of that is out there in the world. So if kids want to, like, everybody has access to pages. Pages is free. So if you have an iPad at home, you can still do a lot of these things. The the Keynotes Smart Draw feature, which I saw demoed today, I was just like, this is amazing. It's Procreate. Like Procreate's, uh, you know, start from zero and I'm going to redraw what you just did. But it's done artistically and to a tempo so you can put it in a keynote slide and then all of a sudden you have a drawing that pops up from scratch and like populates with information and all of a sudden you have this beautiful interactive animation that didn't actually require you animating anything like that kind of stuff that kind of stuff is just it makes me really really excited for for students and anybody learning these days honestly i want to i want to use it for nonsense like that's how much i like it <laughs> and uh, i guess we should wrap this up by saying there was there was no real news on the mac front right there was yeah. no <laughs> cheaper macbook air which has been rumored no like redone entry-level macbook also been rumored so uh maybe we'll see that stuff this summer yeah, i mean clearly I don't think this, they're ready yeah clearly this event was ipad focused and the mac i still i still think has an important place in education but we're talking about price being a driving factor. The iPad can get much further than the Mac ever can. So this makes sense as the, I think, I think this clarifies the way I had thought about Apple and education before I found the two prong approach of iPad plus Mac sort of confusing in places. And now I'm thinking about it as for education, Apple is iPad first and Mac when you need it. Mm-hmm. And um, hopefully they'll come back with some, Mac, you know, entry level Mac hardware this summer that makes sense for schools uh, I will say that if they wait too long, they're going to miss the buying cycle for this year because yep. schools are spending money now, <laughs> you know, the you know, the end of the spring semester for the next year. But um, that is what it is, I guess. But uh, yeah, no no Mac hardware today. So those of us who are hoping for something, um, check back in in June, I guess. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Although the Macs did get a new software, like we can talk about iWork a little bit because, Stephen, I know you had some feelings. <laughs> I did. Did have feelings. <laughs> capital <So>, F feelings. <laughs> capital F feelings. So the uh, the iWork suite got updated. I should say on the on the iPad it has pencil support now, which like this shows how little I use my Apple pencil or iWork. <laughs> I didn't know it didn't have pencil support, but it does now. Yeah. Well, there's which, a, all right. So I should great. I should clarify like pencil support. There's a difference between like an app supports the pencil and an app is built for the pencil. Like the right. All the iWork suite now basically lets you draw natively, uh, basically using the same kind of tools as notes on slides in inside, you know, spreadsheets on documents. And, uh, it integrates really flawlessly. It's, it's pretty cool. Like I, I get to play around with it a little bit today and I'm like, yeah, I'm, this makes, I work actually interesting for me in a weird way. (laughs) (laughs) Poor I work. I know. Sorry guys. But one big thing they announced is that Pages is now capable of doing some ebook stuff. Now, on the Mac, Apple has had iBook Author. They've had it for years. I've done several big projects in it over the years. And now Pages on the Mac and iPad has some of that functionality, but not all of it. And it can export an ebook, but iBooks can also use this weird iBooks format that does more stuff. And so you looked into this, and it seems that 
iBooks Author on the Mac is going to continue, uh, at least for now, uh, because Pages is has adopted a simpler, less complex sort of vision of what ebook creation will look like. Is that, yeah. is that fair? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the thing to remember here is that Pages was actually the original ebook creation tool on the Mac uh, before iBooks Author existed. Like, they've always had an EPUB export tool. Um, and that for years, it was very rudimentary and kind of terrible. Um, and then iBooks Author came out of that same group, the iWork group, um, as a thought of like, well, we want to do all the all these cool things that we are, were allowing people to do in Keynote and Pages. We wanted them to be able to do that doing iBooks uh, and, and in our iBooks app. But in order to make iBooks author books, they basically had to bastardize the current open EPUB format that um, the general community at large was, was adopting outside of uh, Kindle and their Mobi format. Uh, you know, the, the rest of the world was like, let's create this simple HTML based format. And Apple's like, yeah, but you guys are moving too slow on the adoption side. So, uh, we're just going to make something fancy. That's basically the open format with a bunch of our own custom things. Hey, it sounds like WebKit. Uh, and they, uh, <laughs> they called it dot iBooks, the iBooks format. Um, and that was really cool for, uh, people who had iPads. Uh, but dot iBooks was not available on the iPhone and it was not available on the Mac. So it had a very, very limited viewpoint at first. Uh, and as iBooks author grew and expanded, uh, it came to the iPhone. It came to the Mac, of course, when iBooks for Mac came out. Uh, so they're like, it, it finally expanded a little bit, but there was still like iBooks author, unfortunately, is ki- was kind of trapped in this dead end where it was using this custom format and it had built so much of its existing tools on this custom iBooks format uh, that when EPUB 3, which is the current open standard, started catching up, uh, except essentially I would compare it, honestly, <laughs> this is a dirty thing. I would compare it to e- like Internet Explorer 6. Uh, versus like HTML5, right? Where it's like Internet Explorer was doing all of this like custom, you know, custom stuff. Um, And then HTML5 comes out and, you know, at the very beginning, HTML5 was in a buggy, uh, but had a lot of potentially really cool stuff in it, like Canvas and everything else and, and video tags and audio tags and new semantics. And everybody's like, yeah, HTML5 is great. And then there are those websites that are like clinging to IE6 with all of their might because they're like, but I did all this custom stuff and it won't work in HTML. I don't understand. Yeah. So uh, so that's kind of how I see the .ibooks format versus EPUB 3, where iBooks was the superior format for a little while, even though it was super niche because it had all this extra stuff but in doing so, the iWork team kind of painted themselves into a corner because they knew eventually they'd have to go back to EPUB 3 when EPUB 3 caught up. Uh, but trying to build an app from scratch can be challenging, as they saw with iMovie and uh, Final Cut and the new version of GarageBand. Yeah. Like, insert all of the creative projects from the last or products from the last decade here. So Pages has had EPUB 3 support, uh, the latest version of the EPUB standard, uh, for the last uh, year or so. And they've been able to make free-flowing and fixed-format books, which are the two kinds of uh, EPUB books, ebook uh, that you can make. 
Uh, but it hasn't been, again, it's still been kind of like half supported. So this update really shifts Apple's and the iWork group's thinking, in my opinion, towards Pages as being like, okay, we went from Pages being like, okay, we offer this feature, but iBooks author is the place you really want to build books, to, okay, Pages, we want to make Pages just as good for exporting books as it is for exporting PDFs or documents mm -hmm. to work on. And we're going to add collaboration features, which were long requested for iBooks author. Um, and we're going to be able, we're going to make it so that you can now make these books on iPad and on iPhone too, which is the thing like, granted, you don't maybe want to build an, uh, a book on iPhone, but it's, it's possible. Uh, it is possible. Yeah, exactly. So there's... So there's that angle, right, where Apple, you know, Apple's basically looking at this and saying, all right, we now have a way forward in that we've made pages into a really robust tool and we've started hooking up all of the underlying frameworks for EPUB 3 and now we're in a place where we can really support pretty much everything pages does in EPUB 3. Um, However, it's not everything iBooks author does in EPUB 3. And I think that's where the the cognitive dissonance kind of is right now where iBooks author, because it's the specialized format still has things that, uh, that pages doesn't yet have implemented things like popovers and special glossaries and, uh, HTML five custom widgets. Uh, there are other things too, that are escaping my quizzes, like in, in, in book quizzes that you can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I don't like, I wouldn't be surprised to see these features come to pages at a later point in time, but it's very clear from, you know, seeing demos and, and getting some hands-on time with the software that like they're taking their time and they're, they're, they're putting it in the right steps to make books, uh, to make books, again, more accessible for both students and creators. Cause God knows the, like trying to make an ebook for a long time was just holy hellscape, uh, so I'm I'm like really grateful to see all of this move forward, but Stephen, as you found out, it's like well, pages may be great for the average user who's just trying to put text into a book, but it's not going to replace iBooks Author just yet for like more advanced projects. <laughs> it's got a ways to go, and it may be that you know they move some more of that stuff over, and then some stuff just gets left behind eventually if iBooks Author is you know slowly put out to pasture. But for now, at least. You know, you can use either one if, as long as you're on a Mac and it, and it'd be fine. So, um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think that does it for the event coverage. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think we covered all of the, all of the events. We have been educated. Uh, so you wanted to talk about, uh, Facebook this week. They've been in the news a lot. We're not going to recap that news. We're assuming that you know how Facebook's very bad week has gone, but, uh, we kind of want to talk about, about our response to it and how we felt and, and, and maybe how people could uh, be better prepared to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking at this as somebody who has for a long time now been a little bit skeptical of anything I put online. Like there's always this little voice in the back of my head and I think has been there probably for a decade that basically says privacy permissions Eh, if you put it online, someone will probably find it. Uh, and maybe that's just like my conscience from when I was 16 and my dad found like my, what I thought was my secret IP address diary <laughs> and uh, proceeded to like ruin me for, for two months. 
uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I just have some bad experiences, but, uh, I, I just don't trust any social network. And so I, I kind of have been using them with a grain of salt. And then when all the Facebook news came out and associated privacy concerns, uh, now a lot of people are starting to talk about privacy policies and what people can and can't do with your data. And should we be sharing this much data? And the answer is not, but maybe we should just be a little bit more wary. And then there's also the other side, which is like, no, I use this service. They have a right to protect me or they are required to protect me. Um, to which I say, it's a lovely thought, but how much are you paying the service to protect you? And if the answer is nothing, then there's a, there's a little bit of a problem there. Uh, so <sighs> yeah, all of, all of that rant to, to say, uh, whether you're using Facebook or Instagram or Google or Amazon, uh, you really need to take a hard look at like what it is that you're sharing. And there are some options, you know, you don't like there's there's definitely we've seen hashtag delete Facebook roaming around. And I've seen some people who are more than willing. They're like, OK, you know what? I don't need Facebook in my life. I can I can remove Facebook and I can obliterate it off my sphere and then I don't have to stress about it anymore. Um I did not go that route because I don't know about you, Stephen, um, but for me, you know, I've had Facebook since college and r shortly after college, I very quickly decided that it was not no longer going to be about my personal life uh, in part because of Facebook starting to do a little bit of skeezy things. And I started making it more segmented. I started making it more just about like sports and specifically like roller derby and all the stuff I was doing there and like not mentioning my personal life really aside like it knows that my husband and I are, are in a relationship because we met in roller derby but otherwise you know it's not really it doesn't really tie into my real world connections all of that much um, but there's also the question of like I have pages that I manage for Facebook not only like I'm more um, and I'm more Facebook page, but I also have roller derby specific pages that I manage. And for me, it's just not, it's not practical to delete it. Like I've, I've kind of weighed the pros and weighed the cons and gone through my ad tracking and all of that and been like, you know what, I'm, I'm okay keeping this service, but, uh, but other people may not be like, well, how are you feeling, Steven? Did you, did you delete your Facebook? Are you considering deleting your Facebook? I have not deleted my Facebook. Um, so I, I don't really use it for work. Like Relay has a page and my blog has a page that we don't do much with them. You know, there's some people I went to school with that I sort of halfway keep up with, but there's not anybody that I keep up with only on Facebook. And uh, I actually went a long, for a long time, I didn't have an account. I had an account in college and actually did delete my account for years and sort of signed back up in the last couple of years. But after this, I've been reconsidering that. So currently, my account is deactivated, so you can't add me to stuff or see me. But uh, if I log back in, then my account's still there. It hasn't been removed. And um, you know, honestly, I'm not sure what I'm going to do because I like some of the community on Facebook. Like, there's a Mac Power Users group that um, that we run, and it's awesome. Lots of like good, awesome, nerdy conversations in there. And I do like keeping up with with friends and what they're doing there. But um, but yeah, the the privacy stuff like clearly they are struggling to um, meet the requirements at least that I think they should have for that. And so deactivating was sort of a, a, a 
a measure for me just like to be able to like kind of think on it for a while. And I'm going to go a little while without logging in and just kind of see, do I feel like I'm missing out on stuff? Do I feel like, you know, I could, I could live without it again. And, uh, and if I can, then I'll go ahead and, and remove my account. Um, I like you didn't put a ton of personal stuff on it. Like didn't really share, like I don't share family photos on Facebook. Like, Again, like I have other ways to do that with people I want to share family photos with. Mostly it's just iMessage, Mm -hmm. but you know, but it works. Yeah. Hey, look, secure end-to-end encrypted messages. Imagine that. (laughs) I'm kind of in limbo about it a little bit. I don't want to have like a knee-jerk reaction and regret it later, but uh, I'm not, I don't feel super great about it either. Yeah. Well, and then it's worth mentioning, it's not just Facebook itself that's the issue. And, you know, we said we weren't really going to recap the news and I won't. Uh, but the core problem that's kind of come up with Facebook in recent months has to do with the fact that third party apps are using Facebook's API. Um, and it may be apps that you authorize to take a quiz or, you know, as something as giant as Spotify, right? Like until last week, my, I logged into Spotify with Facebook and like I I consider myself pretty savvy in that I disable most everything except for like he, this is your email address kind of that Spotify gets and nothing else. Um, but I go out of my way to, to take away all of that stuff and I don't think most users do and most users don't think twice. They're like, oh, great. I don't have to make an account. I can just press this button and it will automatically log me in with Facebook. That's great. Um, but – Thinking about the flip side of that, it's like, what what apps are these that you're actually sharing your data with? And if you're like, oh, yay, I can use my Facebook account for this potentially shady face, like off Facebook quiz, like that's, that's stuff we have to think about now. And I mean, arguably, we should have always thought about it. We should have always thought about like how we're using Facebook to log in. But, but now it's really like now it has come to the forefront for the average population. Which I which I find interesting, um, and I like. So here's a question that I have for you. It's like even with you know with your limited Facebook and deactivating and stuff like that. Did that mess up any of your login with apps, or did you make a whole bunch of separate passwords, or do you use like Google's API, like their login API? Yeah, actually, I have just made it a practice not to use any platform to log into anything. Mainly because of this, right? If I if I want to move away from my Facebook account or something, and I have a bunch of stuff tied to it to log in, then I've got a bunch of problems right, that I go around and solve. So, a lot of these web services offer, and, and there is convenience there, and there's security there. Like you only have, mm-hmm. um, like if you have a really good Facebook password, that, and you can just like it's just easy, and there's a lot of pros to that. But uh, I use one password, and so I can make crazy long passwords for everything, and it remembers them. I don't have to. And so I've just made a practice over the years that if a web service or something offers me, hey, log in with Facebook, log in with Google, log in with Twitter, or make an account, uh, I'll just make an account. And um, so I haven't actually come across anything. Uh, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, which I really like Instagram and like that I understand is like a weird dichotomy because like Instagram may be my favorite social network. Uh, and I do upload tons of private st- like photos and stuff to it, but uh I I had a like a it's not like a business account but like a professional level account with Instagram that was tied to my business page on Facebook and the Instagram app like freaked out and I actually had to like kind of go in and like disconnect it from my Facebook page and uh, 
but other than that, I could still log into Instagram and do everything. I just, it gave me that, um, that warning. So, uh, so yeah, so far it's been okay, but you're right. If you do have a lot of things tied to that login, then that's something, that's another factor to consider and, and, you know, maybe taking some time and thinking about what may be attached that way. And sometimes web services will allow you to like change an account over. Uh, sometimes they won't. It just may take a little time to kind of go through your list and, and see what you need to do. Yeah. And it's, it's worth noting that, um, amidst all of the not so great things Facebook is doing, their privacy controls all are all accessible. They're just not easily findable. Uh, so we do, I, I put together a guide on iMore last week on doing, doing things like turning off your ad tracking and disabling, uh, what Facebook thinks your interests are. By the way, this can be really creepy or really funny, depending on how truthful you are to Facebook. Um, I occasionally get the, you are a 30 to 50 so year close. old white man. Not it's close like, at all. Not, not quite, not quite Facebook. Um, I'm like, I don't have a picture of a 30 to 50 year old white man in my bio. I don't understand. Uh, yeah. But like there are, there are all of these little bits that you can change and turn off, including you can see all of the apps that you've authorized with Facebook, um, which gives you a really quick glance at things that you've used for your login. Uh, I'm a, kind of ashamed to say that I had something like 250 logged in things because I test so many apps. Mm-hmm. And for for so long now, it's just been easy to just be like, yep, add with Facebook. Um, and I never felt bad about it in the past because I was like, well, there's not much information on Facebook. It's not my real email address. Like, uh, it's a, it's a Google voice number. So like they can't get my real phone number. Um, and then when the stuff broke where it was like, oh yeah, but if you used older apps, Facebook was also giving away all of your friends contact information. Then I started really feeling like, oh God, like I don't mind, you know, disclosing the limited amount of nonsense that I have on my personal Facebook page. But I really, it bothers me that like an app could potentially attack like my friends. Uh, And granted, Facebook has made changes to that so that that doesn't happen anymore. But there's still, there was this loophole for a long time. So, uh, so it's just one of those things where, where, you know, you're, you're checking through your apps and you're like, oh God, how many terrible OneNote uh, apps did I sign up for in 2012 when I was testing things for a newer app store? That's, that's great. That's just, that's, (laughs) I think that's, I think that's like the number one thing to do right now is to go, we'll have a link in the show notes where to, where to uh, check all this out, but see what apps you've allowed access to your account. And if you don't need them or you don't recognize them, get rid of them. And Facebook is making a change, you know, that if you don't interact with an app within three months, they will, I think it's three months, will disconnect it from your account for you. So, um, but in the meantime, I think that's, that's like a great thing to go do. Absolutely. We have a bunch more to talk about, but first I want to tell you about our sponsor this week. This episode of Query is brought to you by Pingdom. If your website was down right now, if visitors couldn't access your content or couldn't click that all-important buy now button, how would you know? Well, you wouldn't know until it was too late, until they were gone. And that's why you need Pingdom, to give you the peace of mind you need. Pingdom will let you know the moment your sites go down in whatever way is best for you. They are dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable. If you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website, it's all a breeze. They use more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. 
You can start monitoring your site today. There's nothing to install on your server yet. You don't have to configure anything. All Pingdom needs is the URL, and they simply take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial, and that requires no credit card. Then when you sign up, use the offer code QUERY at checkout to get a massive 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, I think that brings us to the speed run this week. Yeah, let's get to it. First up, Stephen, I've since I've been talking a whole lot this episode, I'm going to lobby this question your way. Matt asks, is there a macOS setting or a third-party app for the Mac that will let me use a keyboard shortcut to move between different full-screen instances but different full screen instances of the same app only. So not just like I'm moving between Safari to iMovie, but uh, say I have four open full screen windows of Safari. Can I do that? Will it work? Uh, so yeah, it, it turns out, Matt, you have found a fun little corner of macOS that <laughs> maybe needs some improvement. Uh, you can use multi-touch shortcuts and keyboard commands to switch between instances of a full-screen app. So, you know, you can swipe over and move between full-screen apps or use something like Command-Tab. But uh, there's nothing nothing to, to do it. Um, nothing to do it with a keyboard shortcut. It's a real bummer. Yeah, Command-Tilde doesn't, doesn't really work. Although I will say... With mission control, like if you swipe all the way up and you have like you can see your multiple desktops uh, at the top if you have a four swing finger swipe on a trackpad or if you use the mission control keyboard shortcut, there are ways like you can arrange your windows in such a way. So that say your four Safari windows are one right after the other and then you can right. full finger swipe or use the uh, full screen multi-touch or multi-touch full screen uh, shortcut to swipe, to quote unquote, swipe between those instances. But there's no way to like use command tilde to tap between those instances that I could tell, unfortunately. That seems like a obvious improvement to me to, to the way this works. Maybe one day, maybe next, maybe this summer with the, uh, yeah, maybe dub dub. Keep our fingers crossed. All right. Oliver writes, I am being prompted multiple times per week to enter my Apple ID password and settings on iOS and on my Mac. No. This started happening after a password change a month ago. Any ideas? This is where I grip my teeth and say, I'm sorry, Oliver, because uh, uh, when I was reading your question, this actually happened to me <laughs> over the weekend uh, where I'm I'm like, oh, yeah, I wonder if there's uh, anything that can be done. And I pick up my phone and it literally says your your Apple ID verification has failed. Please reenter. Uh, so here's the thing about this very unfortunate bug uh, is that sometimes uh, there are, well, there are quite a few Apple ID related services on your iPhone, including iCloud, including iTunes, uh, you know, iMessage and FaceTime, they're all managed separately, which can be really, really obnoxious. And Apple will sometimes prompt you uh, if you have not, you know, reload, you know, say you've restored from a backup or you've changed your password, it will prompt you to fix that. But it doesn't really tell you what part of iCloud is malfunctioning. It's just kind of like, please enter in your Apple ID password. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, when you're telling me about this, I'm like, I would like to 
help you do specific troubleshoots, uh, but it's really hard without kind of knowing what's going on and what you have logged into and haven't logged into. Um, the We do have a troubleshoot on iMore, which we'll link in the show notes um, to kind of get some specific steps. But I also recommend checking um, iCloud's support uh, system status because sometimes it's actually a system error and not necessarily your thing at all. Um, it will never be a hacking attempt that I will say is that these these dialogues are designed to be given just from the system. If you're ever concerned that a dialogue may not be from the system, for instance, it shows up while you're in a Safari window, for instance, there's nothing wrong with pressing that cancel button. Like you can always, I've been pressing cancel on that verification alert since it showed up this weekend uh, because the first time I tried it, it gave me an error <laughs> and my phone is still perfectly <laughs> functional so I haven't destroyed anything um, or, like, stopped anything from working. It's just sometimes if it pops up and you're not sure whether it's legit or not, you can always press cancel and go back to it later. Um, yeah. If you do need to reenter your Apple ID for real, it will show up in the settings app um, under kind of that very top important alerts section. You'll see a little red one on your settings app if you're running iOS 11 or later. Uh, so there, that's... That's a an avenue to check as well, but the end of the end of the day, Oliver. Unfortunately, until Apple just makes a universal Apple ID sign-on where you type in your thing once and everything gets filled in, sometimes after password changes and things like that, little little bits can malfunction now and again. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of is you know log out of the account completely and log back in. But as we yeah. talked about last time, that's a big pain. It <laughs> so, is a super pain. Um, <laughs> You know, simple things like restarting a device, you know, sometimes that sort of stuff will clear it up. But, um, yeah, it's it's frustrating. I mean, that's that's a thread that we keep coming back to that iCloud needs more troubleshooting tools because it's just it's so opaque at times to what's actually going on. Uh, in a non-frustrating, although maybe frustrating troubleshoot, uh, Brent asks Query, uh, is there any downside to charging an Apple Pencil with an iPhone? <laughs> the big downside, Brent, is that it doesn't work. <laughs> Sorry, Brent. <laughs> you can't. You can't actually do it. Uh, you've got to. You got to charge it with an iPad Pro, and uh, you know maybe at some point that'll change. But at this point, that's that's how it is. Yeah. So. If Apple decides also, to come out with if you, a- if you plug a pencil. Also, if you plug an Apple Pencil into an AirPod case, nothing happens there either. People have tried all sorts of things. Apple Pencil into a Magic Mouse. <laughs> None of it works. Just the iPad Pro. I really like Apple Pencil into an AirPod case, though, because now it just has a jumbo eraser. Like a super... It's a, it's an eraser that doesn't work, but uh, but I still like the image. <laughs> just walk on smashing things with it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe if... Apple or ever comes out with an iPhone sized Apple pencil, uh, maybe it will charge by going through the lightning port. But uh, I'm going to guess that it's probably going to, if it's, if that's going to happen, it's going to charge via inductive charging the same way that like the iPhone eight currently charges. So, you know, no more, no more weird sticking things out of ports. Yeah. It's an awkward setup. Well, on that disappointment, I think we're done. <laughs> Yeah, uh, great. We've this has just been a, it's, it's been a, a sad real, show. We've been talking about privacy violations, crushing Brent's yeah. dreams. Real, real downer this week. 
They're good Apple pencils, Brent. Well, thank you, dear listener, for listening to Query. Uh, you can find show notes this week at relay.fm slash query slash 27. You can get in touch with us there. But if you want to submit questions, just tweet with the hashtag AskQuery. We have a little robot that goes around Twitter picking them up for us, like uh, like fruit falling in an orchard. Beep, boop, boop. The robot picks them up and brings them home. <laughs> uh, if you want to find Serenity on Twitter, you can at Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N. And you can find her writing, of course, over at imore.com. I'm ISMH on Twitter and write 512pixels.net. Until our next episode, Ren, say goodbye. Bye. Adios.